Good morning, everybody. Got a couple of announcements here. Um, the women's luncheon is going to be on October 3rd, and there is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. So, uh, ladies, um, that's always a blessing. My wife always tells me so. Uh, and uh, we really, really are encouraging everybody to sign up and go to that. That's October 3rd, which I'm assuming is... A... Oh, and make your food selection. You got a food selection, too. It's either liver or what? Or spinach. <laughs> it's probably better than that. Uh, October 9th at 7 p.m., we're going to be having a worship night here at the church. Um, and our own Zach and Emily Putman, her mother is, is uh, a worship leader, and she's going to be sharing worship with us on, on I think that's a Friday night, right? October 9th. So that's going to be something to, to come to see. And lastly, uh, you guys may have heard or may have seen on Facebook, uh, Mission Syracuse. Um, and basically, it's just Christians from all over the city coming together to pray and uh, I think we need it, you know, this, the time and the day and age we're living in and what we see happening all around us and, and in our country. There's never been a time, well, <laughs> there's been lots of times in history, but I think as we draw closer to the end, uh, it is so important for us to be praying together, and uh, Mission Syracuse is all about that, it's, and uh, they're calling it Faith and Family Night, and this is September 26th. Uh, from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m., and it's going to be at Shopping Town Mall. So uh, write that down on your calendars, September 26th, uh, from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. at Shopping Town Mall, Faith and Family Night. It's going to be a time of worship and uh, prayer and seeking the Lord on behalf of our nation, which is a very important thing for us to be doing. So let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2, <clears throat> we'll pray over it first. Heavenly Father, we come before you again, Lord, and we, uh, we ask, Father God, that you would interpret your scriptures, Father, to our hearts. Uh, Lord, I can't possibly meet the needs of, of each and every one of these people that's, that are in this place today, Lord, and I can't possibly know what's going on in their hearts and their minds and in their souls, Lord, but you do. You know every aspect, every, every tiny just almost inconceivable nuance of who they are, Father, in their personalities and in their hearts. You know every stronghold that they struggle with, Father. You know every struggle that they have, Lord, and you love them and you care for them and you're concerned for them. And so, pray, Father, we pray and ask in Jesus' name this morning that as we break open the word together that you would interpret these words to their hearts and into their lives, that you would show them how they ought to apply it, Father, and that you would use me simply as a middleman uh, to do what you're seeking to do in each of our lives, Father. Have your way in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 2, of course, again, Deuteronomy means second law. And do you know why the Bible tends to repeat things over and over and over and over again? Well, who said, who said it? What? We're knuckleheads. That's one way to put it, right? We're knuckleheads. The same reason that we repeat things to our kids over again and over again and over again. I know you've had it a thousand times, but you didn't do it the first 999 times. So I'll say it again, you know. And, and, and there's other things that our kids are great at that we still repeat to them over and over and over again because it's important. Because you, as an old person, right, know what life is 
how difficult life can be doing the right things, let alone the absolute disasters that you've seen in this life happen to people, many of whom you may care deeply about, because they didn't do the right things. I'm always telling my kids over and over and over again, remember, remember, remember the things that God commands us to do and the things that God commands us not to do are always for our benefit. And more importantly than even that, it's to glorify God. We have to remember that the primary focus and concern of our lives as believers in God and as disciples of Jesus Christ are our primary objective in this life is to glorify God, to glorify God, to glorify God. We have made it about us, and that is the tendency of all human beings. So don't put yourself off in some special shame bracket, right? We all, this is what we do. When the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, self-love is assumed. It's just assumed. I know you love you. I mean, I love me some me, right? First thing I think of in the morning is me. What do I need immediately? <laughs> right away, what do I need? And before I go to bed, what do I need to do? I have no problem thinking about myself. The trouble that I have is to put my focus where it ought to be, and that is on Almighty God. We were created in His image to have fellowship with Him and to glorify His name. And if we can fully understand that, and know that in our hearts, not just know it intellectually, but know that in our hearts, then whatever befalls us or whatever happens or whatever goes on in this life, we can begin to see things appropriately through his eyes. God, let your holy name be glorified in such a time as this. God, let your holy name be glorified. Let your kingdom be shown for all men to see through me whether it's in me being, being blessed, whether it's in me being lifted up, whether it's in me enjoying the finer, more greater, wonderful things in life, which probably is usually most of the time what our lives are like in this country and in this day and age that we live in. But Lord, when the bad times come, when the hard times come, when death comes, when sickness comes, when financial distress comes, when anything else comes, Lord, let you be just as glorified in my life through that as you are through the good times. It's easy to sing glory, glory, hallelujah when everything's going well, right? The finances are in order. You're relatively healthy with maybe a weight issue a little bit, you know, but other than that, everything else is going great. Things are good. Work is good. Everything, it's, it's easy, it's so easy because we are his kids, and we do love him to walk around singing his praises. Like when you give your kids cake. You never give your, give your kids chocolate cake or a Twinkie or a pile of chicken wings. They look at you and go, you know what, Dad? You make me sick. You sicken me. Look at you. What have you done? And it's always like, you're the greatest dad in all the world. You're the great. I love you so much. But when it's like you didn't do the things that you needed to do, you're grounded from the Xbox for the rest of your life, you know what I mean, or something like that, or, you're this, or this has to happen, or you just simply need to do this and this and this and this. I know you want to do that and that and that and that, but what you need to do and what you're going to do today is this and this and this and this, then your praises aren't sung, 
at such a high note, are they? Oh, Daddy makes me do these things that I just hate to do. You know, it never. It's always like you see them out there and they're while they're doing it. We don't change. And we're the same way in our lives spiritually. When things are going my way, when God's bringing the blessing, glory, glory, hallelujah. Have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? And then when things are bad and the chips are down or there's hardship or discipline comes or whatever the case may be, it's a whole different story. But he is as worthy of our praise in the hard times in the trials and in the tribulations as he is during the times of blessing. For all things come from him and are used in our lives for our edification. You know, all things work for the good. All things work for the good. When you think of good, you think of good the way you think of good, right? I'm going to be better off because of this. I mean, he took away this. He's going to give me four more of them. No, no, no. It's for your good in the sense of your relationship and your calling through Jesus Christ. That's how he's working in your life. That's how he's working. Oftentimes, in times past, the Bible has been accused of promoting uh, sexism. The Bible's been accused of promoting racism and even slavery because when the apostles are writing their letters, they're writing in, in time of ancient Rome's rule when it, something like 83% of the population were slaves right? The gospel of John written by, or Luke, written by the physician Luke. Luke, even though he was a doctor, we think, oh, he's probably well off. No, Luke was probably a slave. Slaves were everywhere. It was just a fact of life. And what the apostles write, primarily Paul in his letters to the churches in that day, where if you are a slave, if that happens to be your station in life, if that's where you're at, then glorify God there and be a testimony to your masters there. That's repugnant to me. That's repugnant to us. The idea of slavery is disgusting, and it sickens us. And yet, what Paul was saying to the churches in those days is that your physical freedom ain't the most important thing in your life. Your freedom to worship God through Jesus Christ and your relationship with God and your testimony to this world is preeminent over all. If you can gain your freedom, Paul says, gain it. But if you are in a station that is not a pleasing one, God can be glorified there through you. And so that always ought to be our prayer. No matter where we are and no matter what's going on, God be glorified in me, even in such a time as this. So Moses is giving them second law. They needed reminders. Now remember, this is the next generation. The first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, that were delivered by the hand of God, went to Mount Sinai, received the law. It's an 11-day journey from there to Canaan. <clears throat> the scripture tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 1. It's an 11-day journey. Took them a lot longer to get there even the first time. But they get to Canaan. They send in the spies. You guys know the story. We can't go in. There's giants there. They disbelieve. They reject God's promise. And so God says, because of that, you're going to wander in the wilderness until every single one of you dies of this generation. And the next generation, they're going to enter in. Your children, whom you said would be devoured by the land, to them, I'm going to give the victory because I'm always going to show, God says, how great I am. And I'm always going to show, God says, that my promises when I give them are irrevocable. 
They're unavoidable. They are undefeatable. The promises of God are yea and amen. There's no difficulty. There's no trial. There's no tribulation. There's no sickness. There's nothing in this world. There's neither death nor life nor principalities or anything else that can separate you from the love of God or that can separate you from the promises that God has given you in his word. And, and God says, I'm going to show that to your kids. You didn't want to believe it. You didn't want to enter in. You didn't want to receive that blessing. So I'm going to give it to your kids. So now the second generation, as they come towards the land of Canaan, Moses is reminding them now what the law said. And he reiterates the entire Exodus story to them. That's what we have here in the first few chapters. Moses, let me get a sip of coffee here. Nothing for a sore throat like some caffeine, you know. Moses, in the first few chapters of Deuteronomy, is retelling the story of the Exodus. The highs, the lows, a lot of lows. Deuteronomy chapter 2. This is right after, okay, sorry. This is right after, end of chapter 1, he, he finishes up chapter 1, which there was no chapters, but for our purposes, he finishes up chapter 1, talking about their rejection of God's promise, God's, God's discipline, you're going to wander in the wilderness till all of you die, and then your kids are going to go in. And then them saying, we repent, we're going to go up and take it now. And Moses saying, it's too late. You rejected God's promise. You rejected God's word. Don't try to go up and take it without God's blessing. You will fail. You ever try that? You ever try that one? Not having God's blessing, but we're going to make it happen. <sighs> we can do it. We can do it. You know what we can do? Two things, jack and squat. That's what we can do. Without the Holy Spirit, without our Heavenly Father, that's what we're able to do. I've seen what I'm capable of, okay? It's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. With God, all things are possible. They, they, they ignore that, and they attempt to go up, and they're just soundly defeated and driven out into the wilderness. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough, turn northward. Now, I want to stop there. When the Bible says many days, we're talking almost 38 years. When it says here, then we skirted Mount Seir for many days... We're talking 38 years that they skirted Mount Seir, that they just went around in circles, and they went around in circles. Remember, they still had the tabernacle. God's presence was still there in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and when it would pick up and move, then they would pack up the tabernacle, and they would move, and God just took them in a circle. And God just took them in a circle. And one by one, they grew old, and one by one, they died but they skirted Mount Seir for 38 days. And this is, year, I'm sorry, 38 years. This is what this makes me immediately think of, okay, in my life. Because the beautiful thing about God's word is not only is this a historical book, <clears throat> not only does God tell us what has happened in times past and how he worked and used people of those days and ages, but this book in particular is absolutely 100% just as applicable to your life. You understand? Now, we, thought, we talked last year, or last year, last week, on um, my days, years, weeks, months. It's been a long year, okay? 
We talked last week about the fact that a lot of the promises that God gave to the children of Israel were for the children of Israel, were for the nation of Israel. They're not for Christians today. Okay, Christians love to take the stories of the Old Testament, the promises that God gave to Jacob and to Jacob alone and say, that's mine too. What we have in God through Jesus Christ, the promise that we have and what God has, the covenant that he's made with us is enough, is enough. He worked with Israel in a completely different way than he's working with the church. And he's going to once again work with Israel after the rapture during the time of the tribulation. But God made specific promises to the children of Israel. But they rejected the promise of God. And the Old Testament, even though there's many things that are just for Israel, it is 100% teachable in our lives today. <clears throat> Ex, uh, excuse me, Egypt is a picture for us of sin. The time of bondage that the children of Israel spent in Egypt is for us a picture of the time that we spent in the bondage of sin. The Exodus... They're being taken, delivered literally by the hand of God out of that bondage is a picture of our salvation. And immediately following salvation, they were taken to Mount Sinai where they received the word of God. That's the second thing that comes in our lives. And the promises come with it. I am taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's what my word says. I expect you to apply this to your life, to be true disciples of my son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to lead you on towards the promised land. Now, the promised land for us spiritually is that life of walking in the spirit. That is the goal. That is the promised land in this world for us, is that we would come to a place where we would magnify God through our obedience, through the crucifixion of our flesh, that we would walk in Jesus Christ's steps, and we would continually be in the spirit rather than continually being in the flesh. That's the struggle, isn't it? That's the struggle. And we're going to get to that. The Israelites refused to enter into the life of the Spirit, and so they were doomed to walk for 38 years in the life of the flesh, in defeat. And what do we have to look forward to? Death. You ever find yourself saying that? I just wish I'd die so I could go to heaven. I've sung in that choir. I've sung in that choir. What do you want for Christmas? I'd like to die. I've had enough. Lord, take me. A motorcycle accident, would, do, would that be work? That'd be fine. I'll die happy. That'd be great. You know what I mean? But if my heart explodes, I'll take that too. Get me out of here, right? That's not the life, though. That's not the call. That is not the heart of a victorious Christian. That is not the heart of a person, of a Christian, of a man, of a woman who's walking in the power of the Spirit. The person who's walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, they are already living and walking in victory. And they see Jesus every single day in where he leads them and in where he brings them. The children of Israel, the first generation, are for us, and we read the scriptures last week, a cautionary tale. All the promises were given to them, and they, none of them of that generation inherited the promises because of what? Unbelief. And Paul says, don't be like them. You believe. 
You cling to the promises of God given to you through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And you never, ever, ever let go. And you never back down from the enemy. And you never say it's impossible. And you never say, I can't do it. You continually press forward until you enter into that promised land. Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 21 through eight, chapter 8, verse 6. You guys all know this portion. Paul says this, I find a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, that's me, but evil is with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, that is my regenerated heart, my regenerated spirit. I, I delight in the law of God, but I see another law in my members, in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Now, what is Paul saying here? In your flesh, in your flesh, there only ever is going to dwell the law of sin. What does it say? I know that in my flesh dwells how many good things? No good things. None. Zip. Zero. No good things dwell in our flesh. If you keep going back to my mom used to say, I don't know why she said this to me, but she used to say to me, frankly, you bumbling fool, you know, she never said that. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. The definition of, definition of insanity, and you could all repeat with me, couldn't you, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Every time you go back to the flesh, the Bible talks about it so we can have a picture in our mind. You want to have a picture of, in your mind of what it looks like to God in God's economy, what it looks like when you go back to the trough, to the well of the flesh? It's like a pig. It's like a pig. I don't want to be a pig. It's like a pig. You clean him up, you clean Wilbur up, even with his wiry hairs, you clean all those, the squiggly tail, boom, he's clean, get all the snots off the snout. Where does the pig go? Right back into the, into the slop, right back into the doo-doo, and he wallows around in it because he's at home in it. That's what you returning to the flesh looks like to me, God says. You know what else it looks like to me, God says? Anybody have dogs? Raise hands. Got dog. What does your dog do when he pukes? And he said, and everybody comes. And then, maybe that's more of a cat, but a dog, the throws. And then he wanders around. And he said, hey, he's happy with himself. Did you see, did you see Dad? Did you see the puke I gave you? Is he like that? You don't want any? Okay, I'll, I'll take care of it. And he goes back and, and he eats it. It's disgusting. It sickens me. And God says, Frank, that's exactly what it looks like to me when you go back to the flesh. When you go back to the flesh. You might as well just eat the vomit, son. You might as well just go roll in the doo-doo, son. Because spiritually, that's what that does to the heart of God. That's what it, it, it is to him. And he wants us to learn that lesson. <clears throat> but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he gives the answer, I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1, starts right off. Remember, there's no chapters in the original letter. So this is continual. I, I, it's, it, the chapters and verses in the Bible are some of the most wonderful things that we have as a tool to study Scripture, but it also sometimes gets in the way of the point that's trying to be made. 
okay, I'm done with chapter 7. <laughs> That's my devotion for the day. <laughs> the thought ain't over. Where are you going? Don't you like it when people walk away with you in mid-sentence? You ever have that? When you're in mid-sentence and they're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like that? Happens to me a lot. I don't know why. <laughs> it's not funny. It's hurtful, okay? And you felt like doing that to other people too and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Boy, I wish a tsunami would hit me right now. <laughs> if this person keeps talking, I'm going to dive into a wood chipper. You know what I mean? I can't take that. You know, or, it's, or when you're, you're, you're at the family table, you sit around and, and, and dad's telling one of his stories. A good story. I maybe, maybe he told it five times, ten times, a thousand and million times. Still a good story. I'm talking, telling my story. Somebody else starts talking mid-sentence and cuts me off. That's what it's like <laughs> when we stop at the end of chapter 7. Paul's not done with the thought. Who will rescue me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I find myself, I, that uh, I, so then with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's step one. We like to do that. We like to say that. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. No, wait a minute. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those of us who are in Jesus Christ, but we're still walking according to the flesh, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? I feel condemnation. I know God's not going to send me to hell because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But in my flesh, as long as I want to stay there, the only thing it has for me is defeat and condemnation. But to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, that's interesting because he is still carrying around in the members of his flesh the law of sin and death. But as he walks in the Spirit, he's free. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, the law says, you do it. You do it. You do it with your strength. Can't. My flesh is wicked. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And you could also add in there, those who live according to the flesh are doomed to wander the mountains of Mount Seir. Those who walk according to the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded. Okay, Christians, get this tattooed on your shoulder. Philippians 4.13, you see, I can do all things because the tattoo says so. Tattoo this on your neck, Okay. Better yet, tattoo it on your forehead <laughs> so when you look in the mirror, you can see it. For to be carnally, that is fleshly minded, is death. That's all your flesh has for you, is death. What happened to the children of Israel who would not believe, who would not trust in the promises of God? They wandered in the wilderness. Till when? Till they died. There's only death there. But those who live according to the Spirit, 
uh, excuse me, but to be spiritually minded is, here we go, life and peace. Friends, what do we want? What do we want? I confess to you, I want life and peace, but my stinking, rotting, filthy flesh still wants the same things it has ever wanted. We act like we became Christians, we're filled with the Spirit, and suddenly we don't even desire certain sins anymore. Oh, I'm free from this one, I'm free from that one. You are in Jesus Christ, you are absolutely free. But in your flesh, in your flesh, there is no freedom. Jesus Christ died for your eternal soul so that his spirit could make your spirit alive so that you would know the will of God and then bring your body into subjugation, subjugation, crucify, crucify. That's the only sentence for the flesh. In our flesh dwells no good thing. So many people, I never thought I'd go there. I never thought I'd do that. You ever see something, somebody who's a believer, somebody who's walking with God or a pastor or whatever the case may be, and the next thing you find out, they've involved themselves in something or they fall into something and you're just flabbergasted? You're absolutely flabbergasted? How? I would never, I would never. You would never? There but for the grace of God, go I. Go I in my flesh. There dwells no good things. Um, okay, so listen to this, though. I love this. Verse 3, after the 38 years of wandering, the Lord spoke to me, saying, you have skirted the mountain long enough, turn northward. Friends, friends, if I got a word for you today, if I got a word for you today, and for the entire church of Jesus Christ, we have skirted the mountains long enough, let's turn northward. <laughs> Let's turn northward and head to the land of Canaan, to the promised land. And command the people saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. And they, notice this, they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. Now listen to me. While they were wandering and, and circling Mount Seir, while they were living in, the, in the, the, the body of death, while they were in living and walking in the rejection of God's promise, he says, I have blessed you in all the work of your hands. Is he good or is he good? Listen, no matter what you choose to do today, tomorrow, this week, no matter what, you just do a Greg Louganis swan dive back into the flesh, okay? He's still gonna love you. His promises are still gonna stand for you. He is still going to remain faithful even when you're faithless. That's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. That when we fall back flat on our face and find ourselves deep in the disgusting, danky, stanky ooze of our own flesh, we can in a moment stand up, turn around, repent, and immediately back into fellowship with God. Praise the Lord. That's it. Today, 
Today, today. It doesn't matter what yesterday was. Today is the day of salvation. That's what grace brings us. Not to allow us to continue in sin, but that when we blow it, we can immediately be back in his presence. In the middle of their rebellion, God says, huh, I have blessed you in all the work of your hands. Notice what he says. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been, mine's italicized there, has been with you. You may not have thought I was. It may not have felt like I was, but the Lord your God has been with you, has been with you. It wasn't where God was that was out of sorts. It's where you were that was out of sorts. But I have never left you. I will never forsake you, he says. You have lacked nothing. Verses 4 to 7 here, speaking of Esau's descendants. Now remember, the first time that they came through, this is going to be the last lesson we're going to be able to do, and then we'll get to communion. As they came through, the first time, before they rebelled and before they were sent back out in the wilderness, when they came to the land of Edom, which is where the descendants of Esau lived. Remember Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob means heel catcher. They were twins. When they came out, Esau came first. Jacob was clinging his heel, so they said, Clinging his heel, that's his name. Clinging his heel, it means deceiver. And we know Jacob through deceit, but also because Esau was a man of the flesh. 100,000% Esau was a man of the flesh. But Jacob through deceit stole the birthright from his brother. Years after that, when he saw, uh, knew that Esau sought him to kill him, he fled into a different country where he met Rachel and Leah, had his kids, came back, blah, 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 blah. The descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau hate each other, and there's animosity with them to this day. To this day. Four, six, five thousand years. Five thousand years. What was done in the flesh, what was sown in the flesh, the animosity, the hatred, the anger remains to this day because of that. Amazing. And remember, when they came through the first time, they wanted to pass through the land. They said, we won't turn to the right or the left. We won't take anything out of your fields. We just want straight passes through, straight passes through. Remember what they said? Absolutely not. In fact, if you come through our land, we're going to attack you. And they sent troops to the border. They said, you cross that line, we're at war. And so the nation of Israel had to go south and then all the way east and then all the way north to go all the way around the land of Edom. God knows the men's hearts. And God knows we got long memories when we've been wronged. Can you not think of third grade? Remember that teacher? You know what I would do now? You know what I would do? Come on, man. Come get some of this. Come at me, bro. You know? Oh, man, I wish I had that one back. I wish I had that one. That's who we are. Oh, my goodness gracious. Like sometimes the thoughts that I'm having when I'm driving the car, I'm like, And then I go, holy heck, how did I get there? In my flesh dwells no good thing. God knows they got long memories. Mom and dad are telling them they're walking around the mountain. You know why? Part of the reason they're walking around the mountain, Edom. Let me tell you about Edom. What they did, what they done. Ooh, the Edomites. Oh, now if I could have that moment back, I'd say, try and stop us. God knows this. God knows their hearts, and he tells them. Here's what he tells them. I love this. 
listen, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. There's another tattoo for you. Watch yourselves carefully. Don't worry about Edom. They're afraid of you because of your size, because of the might and the things that I've done in you. They're afraid of you. You watch yourself. You watch yourself. Do not meddle with them. I will not give you any of their land. I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You'll buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water with, from them with money that you may drink. You will not mess with them. Notice in verse 7, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. The Edomites had treated them with reproach the last time through, and God knew that there were probably hard feelings. He says, watch yourself carefully. In what sense? They had the advantage. I, I love this saying. You are not peaceful unless you're able to do great harm. If you're unable to do great harm, you're just harmless. <laughs> There's a difference. But if you are able to do great harm, and then you don't, that makes you peaceful. That makes you peaceful. It's when you have the choice. Easy to do the right thing when you have no choice. Did you hear that dude? Hear that dude? He's gonna, he said, punch you and punch you right in your face, Thomas. He'll punch you right in your face. He's 6'4", 320 pounds, 5% body fat. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm a peacemaker. I'm going to be a peacemaker. Hey, Biff. Listen, I don't want there to be hard feelings between us, man. Honestly, bro, there should be no problem, man. Listen, listen, I'm here for you. What do you need? I'm here for you. Be different if he was four foot five, right? And miserable in appearance. Then, then it's like, what, what, what'd you say to me, Squiggly? What'd you say to me? I will squash you. I'll step. Don't you know who I am? <clears throat> you don't even know the capabilities, right? And in one way or another, in different parts of our life, whether it's in our relationships, whether it's our career, we've been in one spot or the other. We've been in one spot or the other. Here's what God says to his people. You do no harm. I'm with you. I'm blessing you. You belong to me. My walls are around you. You go forth with the blessing of God, with the calling of the Holy Spirit, and in my name, you have the power to break down the gates of hell. Now you go and you do no harm. You go and you do no harm, and you act peaceably. I've not given you their land. You will repay their evil with kindness remembering that I have seen to your needs. Friends, back to the beginning. Your focus on God. Your job is to glorify God in your body. Our job is to magnify the name of the Lord. If he is preeminent in my life and he is the focus of all that I do and all that I say and everything that I am and wherever I go, then when an Edomite harasses me or when an Edomite talks trash about me, or when an Edomite actually does something for me, steals something from me, whatever the case may be, I can say I will do no harm. Regardless of my ability to do so, regardless of my status and what I'm capable of doing, I will always do no harm because the important thing is always that God be glorified in and through me. Amen? All right. One more hour and we're done. Just kidding. All right. We're going to stop there. Let's have the ushers come on up. Because we don't want to forget 
What makes all these promises possible, right? The promises, they, you know, you are free. And you know, going back to that whole thing when Paul's talking about slavery, remember what he said. You're slaves to Jesus Christ anyways. Used to be a slave to sin, now you're a slave to Jesus Christ. But a person who's a slave to Jesus Christ is the freest slave that's ever been. Because the only, 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 only way his mastery over me is going to be used is to bless me, to draw me closer into his presence, to draw me closer to the heart of the Father. Christian, you are free. The freedom that we have was bought, was purchased, with a great, great cost. The very blood of Jesus Christ. You ever think about that? You know that he became a man with all the infirmities of the flesh, Paul says. He had all the temptations, he had all of the infirmities that are common to man, that are common to man, that are normal, that are average, okay? Jesus wasn't like, I just want to kill everyone. That's not what was going on. But he was subject to his own body, and he showed us what it looks, excuse me, coffee, he showed me what it looks like, he showed us what it looks like to be in that body of death and completely give it over to God's, God's dominion, completely give it over to God's dominion, and to walk every single day in the Spirit. Remember what Jesus did first thing in the morning, every morning before the disciples ever woke up, remember? Where was Jesus? He's out someplace praying, before the sun comes up, Jesus, Jesus is out in a thicket, praying, seeking his Father. Oh, God, help me. Jesus. I don't need it, though. I'm good. I'm good. I just need my coffee, some toast, maybe a slice of breakfast pizza. Boom. Read that. Good. Boom. Done. My Savior was out in the wilderness for hours every morning, praying, but I don't need it. Whoa, right? Wow. And then he gave all, all. He gave his entire life, everything that he had. He poured himself out for his disciples and for the people of the nation of Israel. And then he gave everything that he had in completion when he gave his own body. Where he said, no one takes my life away from me. No one takes my life. I lay it down freely. I lay it down freely. That the promises that God has given us the salvation, the promise of a glorified life, of an upward calling, of being filled with the Spirit. David, King David, he had to pray that prayer. Oh, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Dave Hunt used to get annoyed. Christians shouldn't sing that. He used to say, God will never take his Holy Spirit away from you. He gives it to you. You're sealed with it. It indwells you. Take not the Holy... You don't have to pray that. Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. And Jesus was faithful to the very end. And on the night that he was betrayed, at the Passover supper, he changed everything. He changed everything. He changed the Passover meal forever when he said to his disciples, this is my body. This bread, you didn't know this. You didn't know this. But the fact that it's unleavened, guys, you know why it's unleavened? Leaven is a representation of sin. There's no sin found in me. There's no wickedness found in me. I am the unleavened bread come down from heaven. And my body is going to be broken for you. Take this cup, the wine of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is going to be shed for you for the remission of sins. And he goes on to talk to his disciples about, you know, 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. <laughs> and if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come and get you and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Understand, this sealed the deal. This sealed the deal for you and me and for all who call in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on up, guys, this time, really. <laughs> it's awesome. It's called the meal that heals sometimes by people. This is, again, and I say this all the time, like the dad stories I was talking about, right? It's just, it's just matzah, kosher, kosher aisle, Wegmans. You can get yours today, okay? Welch's grape juice, or is it the off-brand? I don't even know. What matters here, what matters here, listen to me very carefully, what matters here is the faith by which you receive it that makes this special. It's not the bread, it's not the juice, it's the faith by which you receive it that takes these common elements and turns it into the greatest blessing that's ever been in the history of the universe that God has for you in a fresh dose today. Amen? All right. Let's love this. <laughs> 